Section 13 of Smithsonian Institution, United States National Museum, Bulletin 240, Contributions from the Museum of History and Technology, Papers 34 through 44 on Science and Technology, by the Museum of History and Technology. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Paper 39, Fulton's Steam Battery, Blockship and Catamaran, by Howard I. Chappelle. Part 1. Robert Fulton's steam battery, a catamaran-type blockship, was built during the War of 1812. Until recently, not enough material has been available to permit a reasonably accurate reconstruction of what is generally acknowledged to be the first steam man-of-war. With the discovery in the Danish Royal Archives at Copenhagen of plans of this vessel, it is now possible to prepare a reconstruction and to build a model. This article summarizes the history of the vessel, describes the plans and the reconstruction, and also evaluates its design with particular attention to the double-hull construction. The author, Howard I. Chappelle, is Curator of Transportation in the Smithsonian Institution's Museum of History and Technology. The identity of the first steam man-of-war has been known for many years, and a great deal has been written and published on the history of this American vessel. Until recently, the only available drawing of the ship has been a patent drawing made for Robert Fulton. This does not comply with contemporary descriptions of the steamer, and the drawing, or plan, is out of proportion with the known dimensions. The lack of plans has heretofore made it impossible to illustrate the vessel with any degree of precision or to build a scale model. The discovery in 1960 of some of the plans of this historic ship and the Danish Royal Archives at Copenhagen now make possible a reasonably accurate reconstruction of the vessel, and also clarifies some of the incomplete and often confusing descriptions by contemporary writers. Of the numerous published accounts of the ship that are available, the most complete is David B. Tyler's Fultonstein Frigate, a contemporary description of the vessel by the British minister to Washington in 1820-23, through 23, Stratford Canning, was published by Arthur J. May. In Naval and Mail Steamers of the United States by Charles B. Stewart and The Steam Navy of the United States by Frank M. Bennett, the history of the ship and some descriptive facts are given. Stewart, in an appendix, gives in full the report of the supervisory committee set up to administer the building contract. Tyler and Stewart and the committee report are the principal sources from which the following summary of the ship's history is drawn. On December 24, 1813, Robert Fulton invited a group of friends, prominent merchants, professional men, and naval officers to his home in New York City, and there presented a proposal for a project of great local interest. In that time, the War of 1812 was in its second year, and the economic effect of the British naval blockade was being felt severely. The blockade cut off seaborne trade and posed a constant threat of attack upon New York and other important ports, particularly Baltimore. To defend the ports, it has been proposed to build mobile floating batteries, or heavily built and armed hulks with small sailing rigs, but the high cost of these, and their doubtful value in helping to break the blockade, 
compared to the value and action of a very heavy large frigate or a seventy-four gun ship caused authorities to hesitate to proceed with the construction of any block ships or floating batteries fulton's proposal concerned a floating battery propelled by steam power he believed that steam propulsion not only would give it effective maneuverability with no loss of gunpowder but also would allow a successful attack upon the royal navy blockading ships during periods of protracted calm when sailing men of war were nearly helpless the blockaders then could be attacked and picked off one by one by the heavily armed steamboat among those present at the meeting was major general henry dearborn a leading citizen and soldier who was later to become noted in american political history the first step taken during this meeting was the founding of the coast and harbor defense company with dearborn as president fulton as engineer and thomas morris as secretary next a committee was established to raise funds from federal state and new york city governments as well as from individual contributors to build the battery the members of this committee consisted of general dearborn commodore stephen decatur u s navy general morgan lewis commodore jacob jones u s navy noah brown shipbuilder samuel l mitchell henry rutgers and thomas morris the committee proved cumbersome and was reduced to general lewis isaac bronson henry rutgers nathan sanford thomas morris oliver wolcott and john jacob astor known as the coast defense society and with the name of pyramon given the ship in prospectus they attempted unsuccessfully to raise funds privately the estimated sums to build a battery one hundred and thirty feet long with a fifty-foot beam capable of a speed of five miles per hour and carrying twenty-four long guns eighteen pounders was one hundred and ten thousand dollars fulton still the chief engineer in an effort to interest the federal government built a model of the proposed vessel and submitted it to some prominent naval officers commodore stephen decatur jacob jones james biddle samuel evans oliver perry samuel warrington and jacob lewis all gave their support to the society in a written statement and this recommendation proved helpful to the project in congress and in the navy department in the process of passing a bill which went to the senate naval affairs committee calling for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the construction of the floating battery the sum was raised to one million five hundred thousand dollars for the construction of one or more floating batteries and passed on march ninth eighteen fourteen to supervise the start of construction the coast defense society appointed a committee consisting of dearborn wolcott morris mitchell and rutgers with fulton as engineer and a model and drawing of the proposed vessel was submitted to the patent office the secretary of the navy although supporting the project delayed action until he had weighed the importance of the batteries in relation to other war needs for at this time the naval shipbuilding program on the great lakes was considered of prime importance he also raised some technical questions concerning the design of the batteries which fulton answered with a full description of the vessel as one hundred and thirty-eight feet on deck one hundred and twenty feet on the keel fifty-five feet beam each hull to have a twenty-foot beam and the race between to be fifteen feet wide draught eight or nine feet loaded 
and the intended speed was to be four and a half to five miles per hour. The ship was to carry twenty-four long guns, thirty-two pounders. The engine was to be one hundred and thirty horsepower, and the total cost two hundred thousand dollars. In his letters to the Secretary of the Navy, Fulton stated that Adam and Noah Brown would build the hull for $69,800 and that he would build the engine, machinery, and boilers for $78,000, a total of $147,800. He intended to have the boilers, valves, fastenings, and air pumps of brass or copper, which would raise the machinery cost 59% above that of the stationary engines and boilers then in use. On May 23, 1814, the Secretary of the Navy authorized the Coast Defense Society and its committee to act as Navy agents and to enter into the contracts required to build a vessel and to draw on the Navy storekeepers or Navy Yard commandants for such stores or articles on hand needed for construction. The contracts were prepared and the committee now was officially empowered to act for the society, with Rutgers, Wolcott, Morris, Dearborn, Mitchell, and Fulton. On June 4th, Dearborn asked the Navy Department for $25,000 advance, for work had started. On the 6th, he informed the Secretary that he had been ordered to assume command of the defenses of Boston, and that Rutgers had been appointed chairman of the construction committee in his place. It is apparent that the Navy Department was pressed for funds, due to the very extensive shipbuilding programs on Lake Erie, Ontario, and Champlain, in addition to the seagoing vessels being built in some of the coastal ports. This was certainly one cause for the Secretary of the Navy's reluctance to carry out the requirements of the bill passed by Congress immediately after its signature, and also this reluctance caused the Supervisory Committee much embarrassment in its administration of the contract. Another factor which caused difficulty in the administration of the contract was the position of Adam and Noah Brown. The brothers were deeply involved in the shipbuilding program on the lakes, in which they were associated at times with Henry Eckford. The Browns constructed a blockhouse, shops, and quarters at Erie. In addition to Perry's two brigs and five of his schooners, they also built some of the Lake Ontario vessels, and later, the Saratoga on Lake Champlain. In their New York yard, whose operation continued throughout the war, they built some large letter of marks, the General Armstrong, Prince de Neufchatel, Zebra, Paul Jones, and some smaller vessels. They also cut down the two-decked merchant ship China into a single flush-deck letter of mark renamed Yorktown, and they had a contract to build the sloop-of-war Peacock, it is remarkable that the Browns could undertake and complete so much work between 1813 and 1815 and still be able to build the steam battery in a very short time. With the contracts in order, the Browns began building. The keels of the battery were laid June 20, 1814. It is apparent that the Browns prepared the original whole plans, undoubtedly before the building authority was obtained. The vessel required only about four months to build. She was launched October 29, 1814, at 9 a.m. This was an excellent performance, considering the size of the vessel, the amount of timber required and handled in her massive construction, and the other work being done by the builders. During the ship's construction, sightseers were a nuisance, and finally guards had to be obtained. 
during the building of the steam battery work had to be practically stopped on the sloop of war peacock at one period after she had been partially planked there were difficulties in obtaining metalwork for the vessel during her construction due to the blockade and the demand for such material for other shipbuilding at new york on november twenty first eighteen fourteen the ship was towed from the brown's yard on the east river by fulton's car of neptune and fulton each lashed to the sides of the battery and taken to fulton's works on the north river there fulton supervised in person the completion of the vessel and construction of her machinery undoubtedly only a little of his time was required in inspection of the brown's work on the battery for the shipbuilders had been closely associated with fulton throughout the life of the project and were fully capable as ship designers the work on the machinery was another matter however for men capable of working metal were scarce and few workmen could read plans fulton had some of the work done outside of his own plant particularly the brass and copper work mostly by john yule's foundry as a result fulton was required to move from plant to plant keeping each job under almost constant observation and personally supervising the workmen the equipment then available for building a large engine was inadequate in many ways the large steam cylinder presented a problem it had to be recast several times and some of the other parts gave trouble either in casting or in machining and fitting guns for the battery were another problem only three long guns thirty-two pounder were available at the navy yard the secretary of the navy promised some captured guns then at philadelphia because of the blockade these had come overland to new york the captured guns thus obtained were probably english part of the cargo of the british ship john of lancaster captured by the frigate president early in the war apparently twenty-four guns were obtained this way only two were obtained from the navy yard in july the supervising committee carried out some experimental damage studies in which a thirty-two pounder was fired at a target representing a section of the top sides of the battery drawings of the result were sent to the secretary of the navy further problems arose over the delays of the government in making payments the banks discounted the treasury notes so the committee members had to advance five thousand dollars out of their own pockets there was fear that british agents might damage the vessel and although the project was undoubtedly known to the british no evidence of any act of sabotage was ever found captain david porter was assigned to the command of the battery in november and it was upon his request that the vessel was later rigged with sails with the steam battery approaching completion the secretary of the navy became more enthusiastic and the construction of other batteries of this type was again proposed captain stiles a baltimore merchant offered to build a steam battery the hull to cost fifty thousand dollars the entire cost of the vessel one hundred and fifty thousand dollars was raised in baltimore and the frames of a battery erected another battery was projected at philadelphia and the secretary of the navy wanted one more built at sackett's harbor but naval officers and fulton objected a bill put before congress to authorize another half million to build steam batteries passed the first reading january ninth eighteen fifteen went to the house february twenty second eighteen fifteen but the end of the war prevented any further action on it on february twenty fourth eighteen fifteen 
Fulton died. He had been to Trenton, New Jersey, to attend a hearing on the steamboat Monopoly, and on the way back the ferry on North River was caught in the ice. Fulton and his lawyer, Emmett, had to walk over the ice to get ashore. On the way Emmett fell through, and Fulton got wet and chilled while helping him. After two or three days in bed, Fulton went to his foundry to inspect the battery's machinery, causing a relapse from which he died. This resulted in some delay in completing the machinery, and stopped work on the Mute, an 80-foot, manually-propelled torpedo boat that Fulton was having built in the Browns' yard. It was decided to suspend work on the Baltimore battery after an expenditure of $61,500, but the New York battery was to be completed to prove the project was practical. The final payment of $50,000 was made four months after it was requested. Charles Stoutinger, Fulton's foreman, or superintendent, was able to complete and install the ship's machinery. On June 10, 1815, the vessel was given a short trial run in the harbor with Stoutinger and the Navy inspector, Captain Smith, on board. This trial revealed the need of some mechanical alterations. Sails were not used, and it was found that she could stem the strong tide and a fresh headwind. The vessel also was visited by the officers of French men-of-war at anchor in the harbor. On July 4, 1815, she was given another trial. She left Fulton's works at Corlier's Hook at 9 a.m., ran out to Sandy Hook Lighthouse, bore west, and returned, a total of 53 miles under steam, reaching her slip at 5.20 p.m. She was found to steer like a pilot boat. This prolonged trial revealed that the stokehold was not sufficiently ventilated, and more deck openings were required. The wind sails used in existing hatches were inadequate. The paddle wheel was too low and had to be raised 18 inches, and there were still some desirable modifications to be made in the machinery. On September 11, 1815, she was again given a trial run. All alterations had been made, including the addition of hatches and raising the paddle wheel, and her battery was on board with all stores, supplies, and equipment. She had 26 long guns, 32-pounders, mounted on pivoted carriages, and now drew 10 feet 4 inches. On this day she left her slip at 8.38 a.m. and went through the narrows into the lower bay where she maneuvered around the new frigate Java at anchor there. The battery was then given a thorough trial under steam and sail, and with the ship underway, her guns were fired to see if a concussion would damage the machinery. The vessel was found to be a practical one, capable of meeting the government's requirements in all respects. Her speed was five and a half knots. However, the stoke-cold temperature had reached 116 degrees Fahrenheit. She returned to her slip at 7 p.m. On December 28, 1815, the committee, in a written report to the Secretary of the Navy, gave a description of the vessel and praised her performance. At this time, a set of plans was made by Mr. Morgan, of whom no other reference has appeared, and sent to the Navy Department. These cannot now be found. The committee recommended the battery be commissioned and used for training purposes. The suggestion was not followed. The ship remained in her slip during the winter, and in June 1816 she was turned over to the Navy and delivered to Captain Samuel Evans, commandant of the New York Navy Yard. 
Captain Joseph Bainbridge was assigned to her command. However, she was not commissioned, and soon after her delivery she was housed over and placed in ordinary, that is, laid up. The final settlement showed that the committee, as Navy agents, had paid out $286,162.12, with $872 unpaid, as well as a claim for $3,364 by Adam and Noah Brown, making a total of $290,398.12. The following year, on June 18, 1817, she was unroofed and put into service with a small crew. With President James Monroe on board, she left the Navy Yard about noon for a short trip to the Narrows and then to Staten Island and returned in the evening. The next day she was again placed in ordinary. Four years later, in 1821, when her guns and machinery were removed, it was found that she was rapidly becoming rotten. She was then utilized as a receiving ship. At 2.30 p.m. on June 4, 1829, she blew up, killing 24 men and one woman, with 19 persons listed as injured. Among those killed was one officer, Lieutenant S. M. Brackenridge. Two lieutenants and a sailing master were hurt, four midshipmen were severely injured, and five persons were listed as missing. The explosion of two and a half barrels of condemned gunpowder was sufficient, due to her rotten condition, to destroy the ship completely. A court of inquiry blamed a sixty-year-old gunner, who supposedly entered a magazine with a candle to get powder for the evening gun. It was stated to the court that about three hundred pounds of powder, in casks and in cartridges, was on board the ship at the time. She was not replaced until the coast defense steamer Fulton was built in 1837 through 38, though in 1822 the Navy purchased for $16,000 a steam galliot of 100 tons, the Sea Gull, to be used as a dispatch boat for the West Indian squadron engaged in suppressing piracy during 1823. In 1825 she was laid up at Philadelphia, and in 1840 she was sold for $4,000. $750. It is a curious fact that the battery did not receive an official name, as did the sailing block ship on the ways at New Orleans, which at the end of the War of 1812 was officially listed as the Chifanta. Nor was the battery given a number, as were the gunboats. In official correspondence and lists, the steam battery is referred to as the Fulton Steam Frigate, or as the Steam Battery but in later years she was referred to as the Fulton, or Fulton I. Perhaps the explanation is that, as she was the only one of her kind, she was not numbered, and as she was not considered fit for coastal or extended ocean voyages, she was not given a name. End of Part 1 End of Section 13